vampires and slayers, this is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Okay guys, the time has finally come. It is May 22nd, 2021. That means we are here to talk about the gift. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to think this is the heaviest episode of Buffy, but I don't think it is. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I just feel like, you know, the body is heavier than this. Um, other episodes that will be coming in the future. Hey, if for some reason this is the first time you're tuning into my Buffy recap podcast, it is not spoiler free. I feel like seeing red is heavier than this episode. It's a well-crafted, good episode of television. Um, I don't feel like it's... I don't know. I mean, I think this episode is important, but I'm not sure it would be on my top 10 list. You know, it doesn't like... This episode actually doesn't rip my heart out. I actually, like, I can cry and sometimes cry watching this episode, but really what I, why, when I cry watching this episode, it's when everybody reacts to Buffy's death. I feel like her actual death doesn't feel heavy. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know. Like, a lot of the themes in this episode, I think, are very interesting, um, but I'm not sure it's one of my very favorite episodes of Buffy. I can agree with a lot of people have the opinion that if Buffy had ended here, it would have been a good ending. I actually really believe in the story told in the last episode of the series, Chosen. I think that was a really important feminist message, despite the fact that I don't overall think that this is a feminist show. Um, I do think that was a feminist message in the last episode of the series. I really, really like season six because it, I feel like it has a lot to say about mental health. I mean, I'm sure they mishandle a lot of it, and we'll get there, obviously, but I would not want to be without season six, and there are some really great episodes in season seven, even though I don't, I, if I were ranking all the seasons of Buffy, I might put season seven at the very bottom, um, we'll see. Like, I feel like I won't be able to actually make that ranking until we've done this whole project. Um, I don't know. Something about this episode is making me just think about the entire arc of the Buffy show. Um, because, um, part of it is because I, I've, I haven't been super consistent about listening to the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast because their episodes, 
I mean, I don't want to critique them at all. They're doing a great job, and they are definitely the most popular Buffy podcast that has ever existed. So I have nothing, I have no shit to really talk on them, but their, their episodes have gotten really, really long, and I feel like, um, yeah, it's, it's just hard for me to get through them because, <laughs> what am I saying? Their episodes have gotten long, my episodes have always been long, but um, I just feel like a lot of the time they're just spending so much time not really promoting themselves. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to talk shit on Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I think of them as a sister podcast, even though they win. <laughs> if it was a competition, they win, absolutely. And I've been a patron of theirs before. I'm not anymore because I just needed to save some money. But if you guys would like to become one of my patrons, at any level of giving, you get every single week a whole podcast episode. So if for some reason you are sad thinking about a whole summer ahead of you where we're not going to be talking because we won't have any Buffy episodes to talk about, um, you can become a patron over on my Patreon and you can get my weekly podcast episodes. I also do a monthly tarot reading for my patrons and other stuff as well. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know something. Anyway, what I was going to say is that they, I listened to their, they made like a two part, they did a two part review of this particular episode and everybody was saying that they just loved it so much. I don't know. I guess I don't feel quite as effusive about the gift as other people seem to like, yeah, it's good. It's definitely good. It's definitely a great episode of television. Uh, I would never skip it, obviously. Very important themes. It's 10 o'clock at night. Why are there children making loud noises outside? <laughs> um, I live like less than two blocks from an elementary school, so a lot of the time there will be kid sounds outside of my window in my little closet, but not at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday. Anyway. Um, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here, except I got half a beer and a shot of whiskey. So let's get going. Okay, let's start with the Angel episode, which is the wrong order, by the way. The fact that I watched the Angel episode and talk about the Angel episode before the Buffy episode, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I just like to start with Angel because I just get it out of the way real quick. So this is the episode, there's no place like, it's like consonants. Plus, I think if I pronounce it, I might accidentally open a portal. So anyway, we start where we left off in the last episode, which was um, somebody had just served up Lorne's head on a platter to Cordelia. Um, we find out at the beginning of this episode that He's able, he's a, he's a kind of demon that can live with his head separated from his body. His body has to be mutilated before he actually dies or something. So he reveals to Cordelia when they're alone that he's actually alive. And if she is able to rescue his body before it gets mutilated, then he can reattach it or whatever. 
reattach his head. Um, there's the whole thing with Angel being afraid of the demon coming out and he's still in the cave with Fred and she's taking care of him and she's so, she's, Amy Acker is such an amazing actor. Like, I love her so much. It, I'm looking forward to next season of Angel because if I remember correctly, a lot of season three is actually worth it and a lot of that might be thanks to Fred. We're going to get more episodes that pass the Bechdel test, having two female characters on this show. Um, so somebody calls Cordelia a filthy cow bitch. I wrote that down for some reason. Um, Gru helps Lorne. He somehow got to the mutilation chamber or whatever before she did with Lorne's head, and he somehow knew to take the clothes from a different demon with green skin and change it out. It's very convoluted, but essentially he did something to help Lorne without even knowing who he was, but knowing that Cordelia had a connection to him and grew is, is good, actually. We find out that the whole thing with the Grusalug is supposed to mate with the girl that has the visions, Cordelia, and we he tells her that the whole point of that is that since he's part demon oops didn't silence my phone hold on my notifications have been like super loud lately and i've gone in and turned them down i don't know anyway sorry about that um yes all of my notification sounds are star trek of course you've heard them in other podcast episodes before probably because i'm not always the best about silencing my phone before i get started anyway he tells her that because he's part demon during their mating he will absorb her visions into himself he will take them on that's the whole point of the prophecy or whatever and cordelia i know we're just supposed to think this is like such a huge growth moment for cordelia um she says, like, you know, you can't take my visions. I need them. I like them. I mean, they're really painful and they're getting worse and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I need to keep them. So it is really like, I mean, they're definitely setting us up for a Cordelia plot line of like, she can't handle the visions anymore plot line. But the only way that they're setting it up is really just showing Cordelia's character complain about how painful they're getting over and over and over again so that you don't forget. It's not the best storytelling, but whatever. Um, let's see, where are we? Gru tells her that because she's pure human, she can't and shouldn't carry the burden of the visions. Then she has a vision right in front of him. And the vision is that, like, a scary green pokey face demon, which we saw in the last episode, is actually what mm. Angel's, like, demon self looks like. <laughs> Sorry for all the vibration sounds in the background, guys. It's mm. my family texting each other about lunch tomorrow, because we have lunch together every Sunday. Um, so it's a whole group text moment. <laughs> um, anyway. So... Where was I? So she doesn't know, Cordelia doesn't know that that's Angel because she didn't see him like that. Um, but she has a vision that the spiny 
that the angel demon is fighting Gru, and she likes Gru, so she warns him. And then we go back to Fred is helping Angel get to Cordelia or something. I don't know, whatever. And she, and then there's this whole side plot with Wesley and Gunn, like they almost got beheaded by the human townsfolk that are about to revolt because they're all treated like cattle in this world. So they're about to like make a, do a rebellion or whatever. And they think they need to kill Wesley and Gunn for some reason. I don't remember why, but then they somehow show their bravery and they all decide to trust them. And then they make Wesley their leader. And then Fred shows up with Angel and there's this funny moment where Wesley's like, why is everybody always trying to make, put me in charge of things? And Gunn's like, I don't know, man, <laughs> which I thought was good. That was like one of the only moments in this episode that I laughed, I think. I mean, it wasn't like it was a bad episode. It was fine. Um, I'm just kind of tired of this whole other planet bullshit. I, I think they dragged it on a little too long because we've been there for like three episodes now, but okay, whatever. So Fred meets everybody, which is great. Um, she's so like quirky and like, they're definitely like painting her like she's nuts because she's been on this planet for five years and they're really going to lean hard into that whenever she gets back to earth. Like they really need to, like she ends up going kind of nuts in the hotel, like writing on the walls and stuff. And like, Angel's the only one that can get through to her, whatever, whatever, we'll get there. But, um, I, I don't like how Wesley and Gunn initially react to her because both of them will completely fall head over heels in love with her at some point in the next three seasons. Um, they're both going to have a relationship with her and love her unconditionally. But in this moment, when they're first meeting her, they're just kind of like looking at her like she's nuts. And I just feel like that's uncharacteristic of them as characters to perceive someone as nuts. They would understand, you know, I didn't like that. But anyway, then Wesley says something super encouraging to Angel because Angel doesn't want to go storm the castle and blah, 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 because um, he's afraid the demon's going to come out. And Wesley says, you're a man with a demon inside you, not the other way around, <laughs> which is the whole point of this episode pretty much is, can Angel control the beast within? Yes, he can because he has a soul and he, he was able to do it on Earth and he's able to do it here. It's fine. It, it's just like he immediately was able to control it. Like there was just that one time that he didn't know it was there and it surfaced in the last episode and whatever. I just feel like everything we're supposed to feel is not really coming through or something in this episode. I don't know. Um, and I wrote, I wrote in my notes, so they literally have to storm the castle to save the princess because, you know, they're calling Cordelia a princess in this place. And 
Um, then we have the Gru versus Angel fight because something about the Grusalug is like if anybody challenges him to a duel, he has to accept kind of thing. So Angel does it and they don't, Angel doesn't know that Gru isn't bad. Gru doesn't know that Angel isn't bad. There was this whole stupid thing where one of the like robed dudes, the evil robed demon dudes, like told Gru before he went in to fight Angel that like Angel wanted to ravage his princess and like rape her until she can no longer stand or something and then kill her. Um, just stupid shit. I just really didn't like all of this bullshit. It just all of this plot line to me felt like an excuse to put Charisma Carpenter in some really revealing clothing, turn her into a princess that they, turn her into a damsel in distress, literally, so they could all go save her. This whole, like, Lorne Wesley, gun and angel, getting in a Cadillac to jump a portal to go save Cordelia. Like, of course they would do that, but it's just, I mean, thankfully they're adding a second female character. Like, that's just, like, the least that they could do in this fucking show. Um, but yeah, anyway, where are we? So, Angel versus Gru. Angel, you know, of course, at some point the demon comes out, and the whole episode has been, I don't know, can you overcome the demon within you? Blah, blah, blah. Like, no one was worried. And the demon does come out. And they're fighting and then Angel suppresses the demon again and he's like, we're not going to do this, you and me, or whatever. Um, Cordelia gets out just in time to, she actually cuts off the, one of the evil demon robed guys, the one that's the, that was the meanest to her. She cuts off his head uh, with a sword. All on her own. She just does it. So, points for that. And then she declares with her princess powers or whatever, she declares that, like, humans will no longer be slaves or, or refer, referred to as cows. And then she goes outside to save Gru. She, somebody's already told her that it's Angel. I think Wesley and Gunn got in there or something. Anyway, she goes out there just in time to keep them from killing each other. And she tells Gru that she loves him and she hugs him and Angel's being all butthurt, like, because at first she was like, I love him. And Angel thinks she's talking about him. And he's like, you do? And then she hugs Gru. And then Angel's like, but you do love me too, right? I mean, it's funny, but it's also whatever. I don't know. I guess I'm just bored with this whole thing. I think it's just Angel is a decent show. I because of its connection to Buffy, I own the entire DVD box set of Angel, and I don't see myself getting rid of it, but at the same time, I just don't really care about it, and, like, watching it in order to critically talk about it is just... I don't even care. <laughs> I know my mom would be like, well, then stop talking about it then, but I do like watching it in tandem with Buffy. It's just talking about it critically is I, w I wouldn't go so far as to say it's ruining it because I don't like it that much anyway so it's fine <laughs> but anyway
Okay, what else we got here? Angel tries not to turn. Okay, no. He controls himself. Cordy leaves. Okay, so there's this whole thing at the end where Cordelia's making all these declarations. Like, apparently, now they're all respecting her as a real princess, even though they were all just planning to kill her as soon as the mating ritual and the prophecy was realized and all that shit anyway, so I don't know why they're listening to her, but whatever. She's, like, declaring that all citizens henceforth will be equal, blah, blah, blah. So she's, like, making all these declarations about reforming their entire society right before she leaves. But she leaves Gru in charge, so he's gonna stay, she's gonna go. And then there's this whole weird thing, I don't know, let me know what you guys think about this, where she's talking about, like, race relations, you know, because in this world humans were called cows and they were enslaved, and so she's essentially just freed them all through her, like, new declarations or whatever as princess, and she... They try, she's like trying to explain the concept of slavery to them or some shit. And she just goes, Gun, do you want to take this? And then Gun says some really like intelligent shit about race relations. And like, if this were a show where, okay, in an alternate universe, Joss Whedon is a good person. Okay, let's go with this thought experiment for a second. Joss Whedon is a good person. He gets criticized for not having enough racial diversity in his shows. Therefore, he creates the character Gun in order to start trying to make reparations for that. And in so doing, he hires a bunch of people of color to work on his staff as writers and directors and blah, 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 which he did not do that. By the way, he did not do that part. He just created this character Gun and made a comment every once in a while and had Gunn say it as a character to sort of acknowledge that racial inequality exists and think that oh, there's gotta be, there's, I think there's a word for this where like plots where like TV and movies will like call out that they're doing something that's not good. And then they think that that's good enough to just go ahead and go on with doing it anyway. Like, I'm glad that Joss Whedon created a person of color for, created a person of color, created a character that could be fulfilled by a person of color. He tried to do that based on criticisms that he got for all of his staff and cast being white but he thought that having one character of color that he's not completely awful towards was enough. Nope, not enough. Not enough at all. Um, and this little line that Gunn says about talking about racial inequality, and it also, like, reeks of that sort of expectation that we've all become a little bit more aware of the implications behind, but that sort of expectation that society used to have that like, in order to be educated on race, black people had to educate white people in order to like the emotional labor of educating 
you know, cis, white, straight, old dudes, 99 times out of 100, is put upon the marginalized person. And hopefully we're moving away from that as a society in general. But, you know, just the fact that, like, Cordelia's character is like, Gun, you want to take this? Obviously, you understand slavery. So, you know, I just didn't like that. And it just, every time, like, something like this happens on a Joss Whedon show or, or movie or whatever, it just reminds me how fucking tone deaf he is. Whenever he puts words into a marginalized person character's mouth that acknowledge the problem... And they, th and he thinks that that's enough of a solution to acknowledge the problem. It's kind of like in Cabin in the Woods, when the characters in the very beginning are sort of acknowledging how, how sexist horror movies are or something. Like in some ways, the characters are acknowledging that, even though they don't realize that they're in a horror movie. And like the entire situation of that movie is like a metacritical analysis of horror movies but it's still employing all the tropes of horror movies you know like we didn't have to have a topless woman but they did they were like pointing out how sexist it was to have it while having it at the same time you can't fucking do both joss whedon you can't fucking do both you know you can't be a feminist while also being sexist at the same time, you know? I mean, anyway. <laughs> you can't say you're a feminist while being a total fucking asshole. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's just how I feel about that. Okay, is there anything else to say about this angel episode? Oh, okay, so they figure out how to go through the portal. They all drive back through the portal with the Cadillac. <laughs> or maybe it's not a Cadillac. <laughs> Um, whatever, the cordless, topless, topless, is that what they call it whenever a car doesn't have its top? <laughs> what is it called? Convertible. <laughs> I could not think of the word convertible. Okay, so they drive the convertible, all six of them, so Fred's going back with them, so it's now two women and four men. Um, so a little less off, but still pretty bad. <laughs> Five white people, one person of color, still a bad ratio. Um, they drive through the portal and everybody's like happy and you're getting like sort of the relief that you get at the end of the season. Like everything's going to be calm for a second. And then Angel walks into the hotel and Willow is waiting for him. And... I mean, it was just like the second I saw Willow, I'm like, <gasps> no, I just like got jolted back into Buffy world. It's like, oh, she's there to tell Angel that Buffy is dead. So this is why, like, it seemed a little off because I was watching this episode before I watched the Buffy episode. So like, obviously Angel aired after Buffy. So this was supposed to be after we had seen Buffy die. Um, so I'm not watching it in the right order, but whatever. I like Buffy to be the one that's freshest in my mind. So that's why I watch it last. So she doesn't even say anything. She just kind of like 
looks super tragic and Angel's just like, it's Buffy. And then the season ends. So that was really good. That was actually the most emotionally heart-wrenching moment of the entire episode is that tiny little exchange and Willow doesn't even say anything. So that was good. Um, let's see. Did this episode pass the Bechdel test? I do not think it did because we don't see Cordelia talking to Fred and Fred doesn't talk to anyone. Um, Lauren talks to his mom, but... His mom doesn't talk to anyone that isn't female, I don't think, although his mom presents as male, so I'm not sure if some of the other members of the family, although they would have been unnamed. So no, this episode does not pass the Bechdel test. Let's start talking about the gift finally, shall we? So just a little um, order little moment of business for a second because of the nature of this podcast that does mean that we are looking let's see let me look at my calendar I'm assuming it'll be like September when we come back to talk about the next episode of Buffy oh god no it's like October isn't it yep October 8th so we're gonna go June July August and said we're gonna go four whole months without talking about Buffy so I am going to review movies from the year 2001 um, in the summer I again just like summers before I won't have a like specific schedule you know it'll just be like every two three four weeks I'll come and talk about a movie that was that's 20 years old head over to I will have a link in the podcast description to my patreon you don't have to be a patron it but it'll just be a link to a poll so you don't have to be a patron to take the poll you can just go over there and I will have a list of movies from 2001 that I would like to review and then I will probably just take like the top five or so that get the get voted on and I'll do I mean hopefully I'll do more than five if we've got four whole months like I would ideally like to do like one or two a month so that I'm not completely leaving you guys cold um, I do like so many other things though like I have uh, an Etsy shop where I do tarot readings I have my YouTube channel under Mixtress Ray if you're inter interested that's mostly about tarot stuff and then I have um, my Mixtress radio which is a weekly radio weekly online radio show that um, I just play music and I talk about myself pretty much and then I have my podcast episodes I make out of that and like because I have all these other things that I do, it's actually kind of nice to take summers off from this podcast. So, I mean, all that is just to say that if you would like to continue hearing my voice, I still talk quite a bit in other places. Um, if you can't make it to my online radio show, which is free, and the um, information is always in the description box below, if you can't make it to that, I do like podcast versions of my talking segments from my radio show that's available on my Patreon. Again, at any level of giving as a patron, you get access to those. Um, plus the archive of like the last three months because of the nature of my radio show, it's very personal 
and I tend to be like embarrassed about what I talk about like months later. So I've decided that like pretty much at the beginning of every month, I will delete like the fourth month back. So I have about three months worth at a time of all my um, podcast episodes, but I always keep my like tarot, like full moon readings that I do every month. I keep those on there. So you get access to all those old, old episodes and any other of like, sometimes I'll post just like an extra podcast episode of me, like telling a personal story or something that I don't want to be like super duper public. So I keep it to just my patrons. Um, anyway, what was my point of talking about all that? I just have to force myself to promote. Like I've realized recently that like all the different things I do, I don't necessarily very often talk about the other things that I do. So like somebody that just listens to this podcast might have no idea that I'm a tarot reader, might have no idea that I have a YouTube channel, might have no idea that I have a weekly radio show, you know, and vice versa. Um, yeah, I love all the weird little things that I do. And I'm definitely excited to talk about movies with you guys this summer. But um, yeah, I, so head over to that poll. That was the whole point before I got distracted by like, yes, I need to promote other things. At least do it at the end of a season. You know what I'm saying? So um, head over to my poll. You don't have to be a patron again. Um, I will put the link in the description below and um, below or the description the podcast episode description, you know, that thing, there'll be a link. So go vote for like movies that you want me to review this summer. Okay. Let's take a big swig of beer and get into this episode. Finally. I've been obsessed with drinking Modelo lately, guys. I think Mexican beer is the only beer I like. Okay. Um, so the episode begins with the iconic, just, she's just fighting a regular vampire and she see, saves this guy that kind of looks like Jonathan. They're like deliberately putting him in oversized juvenile looking clothing for some reason. I don't know why. Why couldn't he, why couldn't she be saving like, is he supposed to just look small to her? I don't know. Anyway, so she saves the guy and he's like but you're just a girl and she replies that's what i keep saying so iconic moment for sure i really like buffy's outfit in this episode throughout most of the episode she's just wearing a white thermal over like a black t-shirt and some black leather pants i don't like that she's wearing boots with it like high heel boots with it because like i've said before i do not like high heeled boots with boot cut pants. I just don't. Um, then she goes inside, they're at the magic box and Xander's like, anything going on out back? And Buffy just says vampire. And he says, Oh, so I liked that. That's sort of just like super dismissive, like how far we've come. Like, I mean, every other time there's been some kind of vampire attack, everybody's always like, are you okay? Is everything okay? Do, do you need help? This, like, this is the only time they're just sort of like, oh, vampire, whatever. Um, but I understand the need for it in this moment. Um, Buffy demands that Giles do exposition, and he goes over the whole thing about the ritual. And this is the first time I actually get it. 
So in the past, I've always been like, okay, so their blood is the same. So why couldn't like Dawn just half bleed out and then Buffy could half bleed out and then that would be a whole person's worth of blood and then the portal could close and neither of them would have to die. But I get it now. The way that Giles describes it is like, you know, the blood starts the opening of like the walls coming down between dimensions so that everything starts bleeding through. The walls, the walls between dimensions can't come back up until the energy has stopped. So that's not until, I mean, the way that they've said it before blood stops flowing, I thought that that meant you know, like a certain amount of blood. I don't know. I just always thought that this was confusing and they could have found a way out of it. But the explanation that Giles gives makes me think, oh, so as long, once the blood opens the portal, as long as the blood flows through Dawn, it will be open indefinitely. So if she lived another 20 years, those dimensions would be open the whole time. And so I get it now. And because the monks made Dawn out of Buffy, somehow, how did they do this? Did they get a sample of her blood while she was sleeping? Whatever. I know it's a TV show, but, um, these are questions that I have. So I have to share that with you guys. <laughs> um, so I get it now that I metaphysically hell math this makes sense. I get it. Um, I won't question it ever again <laughs> because it's essentially, they're the same. The portal confused Buffy for Dawn at the end, at the end of the episode. But at the same time, does that mean that if, you know, the, the Phil character, I don't know if we ever find out this guy's name, that does the shallow cuts on Don, if he would have done that to Buffy, would the portal still have opened? Is Buffy also the key? And if the key can open the portal and presumably the key is the only thing that could close the portal, how come Buffy could do it? Like, yeah, they have the same blood, but okay, sorry. I just said I would never question it again and then I immediately questioned it. Okay, let's move on. So then Spike makes this whole like blood is life speech. I mean, we've heard this, we've heard his blood is life speech before, but so he does his thing. Then we get dad's putting his foot down. <laughs> so Buffy, you know, Giles starts to go into the whole situation with if the blood starts, all hell is raining on earth. And he starts to say the thing that needs to be said. And Buffy says, we are not talking about this. And then Giles stands up and he yells. I don't think we've ever really seen Giles yell. Like we've seen him stern, but yell? Like literally yell. Like most of the time when I'm like, blah, 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 yelled at me. They didn't actually like scream yell he yells yes we bloody well are and I mean if if that didn't scare you I don't know what will <laughs> if Giles yelling 
didn't scare you, you might be dead inside. I'm sorry. Anyway. So, and then he says, she's not your sister. And I'm like, whoa, Giles. But this is what needs to be said. You know, it really does need to be said. Like, Giles' whole thing this entire episode is, you know, I, what does he say later? I'm jumping ahead, but he says, I've sworn to protect this sorry world, which sometimes means saying and doing what others can't, what others shouldn't have to, which is a plot device to set up the fact that he's going to kill Ben later in the episode. But it's also, it struck me this time watching it for the first time that like, this is just kind of adulthood too, right? Like whenever you're a kid, you're so idealistic and like, you know, there are just, there's right and there's wrong. And like, you know, those lines feel much more clearly defined until you get older and like those lines blur and like the things that you have to do as an adult. I don't know. Does that make me sound jaded? But I just feel like as an adult, Giles knows when he has to make those hard choices. And I think that's, I mean, kind of the entire metaphor of the whole arc of Buffy the show is about adolescence and learning to grow up and becoming an adult. So that makes sense that that would be a theme here with Giles, you know? Um, let's see. Spike's blood speech. Willow's like, we'll solve this. Don't have another coma, okay? And Giles, you know, again, he says what needs to be said. He says, you know, if the portal opens, all human beings on this earth will suffer unmentionable torment and death, including Dawn. And Buffy's like, I can't. I'm sorry. So, okay, here's the whole theme with like, again, I'm jumping ahead, but when Buffy has the conversation with Giles later in like the, the fighting room, <laughs> um, on the couch, she, okay, what does she say? I guess I'm just going to jump ahead to this and then we can skip over it when we get there later. She says, I sacrificed Angel to save the world. I loved him so much, but I knew I was right. I don't have that anymore. I don't understand. I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices if everything just gets stripped away. I don't see the point. I just wish my mom was here. And then he, she basically says, you know, there's some other stuff that she says, but then she ends it with, if Dawn dies, I'm done with it. I'm quitting. So she's essentially going to quit being a slayer if Dawn dies. And this is the point that this story that the show is making story that the show is making this point that the show is making that like at the end of season two Buffy was willing to sacrifice you know a person that she loved a lot to save the world she knew that that was her duty and so she did it talk about like you know what's right and what's wrong and the lines are more blurry now as an adult I mean that's a different way of looking at it but now two three years later i guess yeah three years later 
She's faced with the same sort of decision, sacrifice someone she loves to save the entire world, and she can't do it. Later, like, we we actually get a call back to this, like, in season seven, maybe at some point during season six. I think it's in season t seven when we get this call back, where she says, I was willing to sacrifice the entire world to save Dawn. I wouldn't make that decision again. She actually says that at some point, that she would not make that decision again. And I really like this plot device. The fact that we get to see this hero character change her perception of how she's going to be a hero. She actually evolves her thinking on what it means to be a hero, what it means to be a person. Like she right now, it's almost like she made the decision to save the world and sacrifice Angel as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's making the decision to save Dawn and sacrifice the entire Earth if she has to just to save Dawn as Buffy. It's because of the emotions involved in what she's gone through right now. She can't, like she says, she can't make these hard choices. If these are the choices that you have to make in life, she can't fucking make them anymore. She is overwhelmed. And then later, you know, she's come back around again. She knows what it means to be a hero. She would sacrifice Dawn to save the entire earth if she had to, because she knows that's the right thing to do. But at this moment in time, she's not going to make that choice. And she makes it very clear to everyone that she's not making that choice. And I understand. I mean, she just lost her mom. She just lost Riley. Like she is at her wits end, literally. I mean, she was just catatonic in the last episode. I just think that that's, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of like, you know, hero shows wouldn't do that. They would just like, the hero always makes the right choice. So it's nice that like, Buffy's not making the right choice by saying that, I mean, ultimately she does what she needs to do to save the earth, but she, you know, she's willing to just be like, no, I'm not doing this. She doesn't want to lose her humanity. She doesn't want to just be a killer. Like that's been the theme of this whole season of like finding out more about who she is as a slayer. And as soon as she found out more about who she, who, about the lineage of Slayerness, which she doesn't actually have all those answers yet, which we find out in the next season. Yet another reason why I'm glad the series didn't end at this point, although it would have been a fine bookend, the series Buffy the Vampire Slayer ends when Buffy dies, I'm still glad it's not how that ended, because season six is very important to me. Anyway, I just like that they let her adapt in her way of being a hero, and sometimes just being super distracted by everything that's going on means that you're not going to make the best choices. And if your day-to-day -day choices have to do with the fate of humanity, sometimes you're going to make the wrong choice if you're a hero and the whole weight of the world literally is on your shoulders all the time, you know? Then we get to Anya is MVP of the episode. She makes all the suggestions. She suggests they use the troll hammer. She suggests they use the Buffy bot. I actually, they didn't show that she was the one that suggested that, but I'm going to assume she did because Xander hasn't come up with any helpful solutions. 
Um, I mean, he does hit Glory with a wrecking ball, but other than that, um, and she comes up with the, um, Dagon Sphere. She's like, oh yeah, the Dagon Sphere might repel her. Here's the troll hammer. Also, here's the Buffy bot that we found in the basement. So Anya literally comes up with the entire plan to slow down Glory. Anya MVP. I mean, when have we ever been able to give it to Anya? I'm giving it to her today. <laughs> um, Xander suggests killing Ben. So I guess Xander was helpful in that sense. He came in with the wrecking ball <laughs> and suggested killing Ben. And everybody was like shocked that he would suggest that. But at the same time, Giles is kind of like, hmm, oh yes. <laughs> um... I really didn't like when Giles yelled at Anya because she's trying to help. She's bringing up solutions and Giles like, apart from your totally uninfectious enthusiasm, what do you have to bring? Like Anya doesn't react as if it hurts her at all, but still, uh, uh, why are you being mean to Anya? I guess he's misdirecting the frustration that he probably feels towards Buffy right now because as a watcher, like, Buffy being completely obstinate about saving the entire universe, like, really that should have been an even bigger fight between the two of them than it was, but, you know. Um, and I really like Anya's, um, after she makes her helpful suggestions, Buffy actually thanks her, and then Anya says, here to help, wanna live. So I wrote that down. Um, okay. And then they're like, okay, so we've got some plans now, but we still don't know how to find glory. And then Tara says, big day. It calls me. I have to be there. And then they realize, oh yeah, we can just let Tara go where she wants to go when it's time to go. And we'll just follow her. Um, we get a scene with Ben giving Dawn like some ceremonial dress that she's supposed to put on and... Dawn yells at Ben to become Glory because she she says, he's a monster. At least you're upfront about it. She says that to Glory whenever he changes into her. Um, then we get the whole conversation between Buffy and Giles that we've already talked about. Um, I can't decide between, like, as my object of the episode. I was going to say the Dagon Sphere, but... It looks a little too similar to the Orb of Thessala, and I already still want an Orb of Thessala. I think really what I want is just a crystal ball-sized, either a pale amethyst or pale smoky quartz that's like crystal ball-sized, you know? Like hefty. Like I gotta put it on a stand that's got a lot of like inclusions in it. And I would just call that my Orb of Thessala. Yeah. It's too similar to the Orb of Thessala. So my actual object of the episode is the gorgeous green couch that is in the, like, weapons training room. Like, it's like a green vinyl couch. And it's just the perfect little couch to be in a space like that. And I like it. I have too many couches in my life. So I don't know what I would do with it, but I still, it's going to be the object of the episode. <laughs> that little moment 
where Dawn, okay, she's, well, she's put on the ritual dress and she has her own clothes and tennis shoes just like so neatly folded and she sets them down on the chair and then she puts her, her shoes underneath the chair. What is that? Do you guys think, like, what is the meaning of that? Like, is she trying to have some tiny bit of order in her terrible situation that she would fold her clothes so neatly as if she was going to be coming back to them when she knew that she wasn't going to be coming back to them. Like I, that really got me. That got me. Okay. Here's a realization that I made for those of y'all that like tarot. You know, I've always not always, but ever since I started getting into tarot myself, I thought about this moment of Buffy as being a tower moment, but it wasn't until watching it this time around that I realized this isn't Buffy's tower moment. So for those of you that don't know about tarot, a tower, the tower card is like upheaval, chaos, unexpected, like unexpected badness, you know, like a natural disaster that destroys your home or something. For example, some of us know what that's like. Um, that's a tower moment. Like it's, it's total destruction that is outside of your control. And it wasn't until watching it this time. It's not Buffy's tower moment. It's Dawn's. In fact, it's everybody's tower moment except Buffy's. Like, Buffy is just, she's transcending. It's almost her world card moment. She's moving on to the next life. It's almost a judgment slash world card moment for her, which is a much more positive energy for everyone else. It's a tower moment. Like we literally have a tower in this episode and just stupid side note, but you know that moment right before Buffy jumps off into the abyss and she looks at towards the end of like the platform and she sees almost like it looks like a sunrise in the sky. I mean, I guess it is the sunrise because whenever we see everyone reacting to Buffy's dead body, it's light out. So I guess it actually is a sunrise. But when she looks out and she sees the sun rising, it actually kind of looks like my favorite tower card of all time, which is in the, um, the tarot deck called Serpent Fire. It's, it just looks like a, like a either setting or a rising sun. And it's just, it's totally different than a tower card normally looks. But I wonder if she was referring to this moment of Buffy. I mean, it's not the exact same image, but anyway, just silly little side note. So what were we talking about? Oh yes. So this is Dawn's tower moment. Like everything is in total upheaval. Her sister's about to fucking die it's her tower moment. It's hers, not Buffy's. I don't know. For some reason, that was a significant thing to me. Okay. Anya and Xander, they're in the basement looking for the Dagon Sphere. Apparently, they decided to have sex while they were down there. So, we get that whole scene. Okay. Here's where I'm mad at Xander. Okay. So, you know, Anya's talking about how terrified she is. She actually says... I am just on total overload. So she's having, like, we've talked about before and other people have too, 
the fact that Anya is a stand-in for an autistic character, kind of. So she, her saying that she's just on total overload, she's kind of freaking out. She's sort of having an autistic meltdown in some senses. And she actually says, I'm just on total overload. I don't think that I could possibly be any more nervous right now. And Xander reacts to her saying that by fucking proposing to her. It makes me incredibly angry as a person, as an autistic person that has had meltdown moments, whenever you're having a meltdown moment and everybody's been through this. So it's not like it's just for autistic people, but when you're completely overwhelmed, you're fucking freaking out. You're having a moment to have someone, instead of acknowledging where you are, just add to your total overload. I think is really, really fucking rude. And she actually calls him out and like, she slaps him and says, you're only proposing to me because you think we're all going to die and you won't have to follow through with it. And you know, he comforts her and whatever. And we're supposed to think this is super romantic. I think, I think we're supposed to think that, but she's not wrong because as we'll see at the beginning of season six, like they can't even tell anyone that they're engaged for several episodes because Xander's like, no, 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 everything's too sad right now. We can't tell anyone, blah, 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 blah. And then he walks out on her, you know, all that shit is going to happen. So she's actually completely right in this moment. He proposes to her at a completely inappropriate moment. And she's probably right that he didn't think he'd have to follow through with it. He thought they were going to die. I hate him for this. This is not the time that you propose to someone, guys. Not the time. I know it's supposed to look romantic. And it, if circumstances were different, if Anya wasn't freaking the fuck out, and he just really wanted to propose to her just in case they didn't live, and he just wanted her to know how much he loved her, but he doesn't like say anything sweet to her. He just says, you want to marry me? You want to marry me? That's all he says. After she says, I'm totally overstimulated essentially. And just, I just am very angry by that. I'm just saying the opposite of the MVP is Xander in this episode. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I like to this moment. So Buffy sits down next to Willow to ask her, you know, like if she has any ideas of like what we're going to do, how we're going to defeat glory, blah, blah, blah. And she says to her, you're the strongest person here. You know that, right? Will, you're the only person here that's hurt glory at all. So I really liked this, like giving Willow a little bit of validation. Like I'm not like a huge Willow supporter in general, but she is really... I mean, if it weren't for like, you know, the knowledge of how dark this whole Willow magic thing goes, um, if it weren't for that in the back of my mind, I would just like, I mean, Willow's just a total badass right now. Like she's to the point where she doesn't necessarily have to research a spell beforehand. She's just able to like make things happen in the moment because of how powerful she's gotten. Um, 
And this is where Willow's like, okay, well, I have been working on something, but Tara's been my priority. I know it shouldn't be, but, and I do like that Buffy was like, absolutely, Tara should be your priority. So this is a really actually like wonderful best friend conversation. We really don't get those very often. Um, so that was good. And she's right. The only time Glory has ever been hurt is because of Willow and magic. So, okay, there's that. Um, Buffy takes Spike back to her place and because I don't know why they're getting weapons. Buffy's getting something. I don't know what she's getting. An exact copy of her current outfit. I don't know. Okay, the whole, okay, I just have to bitch about this. Okay, so throughout the whole episode, Buffy's wearing the leather pants, the white thermal shirt, you know, totally appropriate fighting outfit, except for the high heels. And then she changes, and here's the logistics of this is ridiculous, because we see Buffy as herself walking towards the tower, and then whenever she gets there, she's wearing a different outfit. So here's what I think, and, and the whole reason they did that is to set us up for not knowing that the Buffy bot was the first figure to go in and fight Glory, besides Willow. I get why they did that, just plot-wise, but Glory doesn't know what Dawn is, what Buffy is wearing. Like, there was just, there was no reason to put the Buffy bot in the outfit that Buffy was currently wearing. There was no reason for that except for the plot device of us as an audience not knowing that it was the Buffy bot until she got decapitated. I just, I'm rolling my eyes so hard at that right now. Like if they wanted us to not know, if it, they could have just put Buffy in the same outfit. You know Buffy's got more than one white thermal t white thermal long sleeve shirt and black leather pants in her closet. We know that. We know for sure she has several pairs of black leather pants. There's no reason. Anyway, that just bugs me. That bugs me. And also it bugs me because of the outfit that they put Buffy in. Like that whole end scene. So she jumps into the abyss. I get why she needs to be wearing a white shirt because this death is supposed to be a savior death. So symbolically putting her in a white shirt makes sense, but she was already in a white thermal. They didn't need to change it to like a mom ribbed white shirt. And those fucking pants that she's wearing at the end, those aren't fighting pants. I mean, they were awful. They were like Heather gray. They almost look like sweatpants, but they were actually like, just sloppy work pants that like any random person, any random person at a retail establishment could be wearing the outfit that Buffy wears when she sacrifices herself at the end of this episode. This is, I mean, in past seasons, in, in the last episode of the season, Buffy's wearing like giraffe pants or brown leather pants or like those brown stretchy pants. I mean, Buffy's worn some bad outfits in the past, but this one really takes the cake. <laughs> Why would you change from a badass fighting outfit? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. 
I'm just going to move on. <laughs> okay, so Buffy and Spike get to her house and presumably to get clothes for the Buffy bot, I guess. And Spike can't come in because she's rescinded the invitation, which was completely reasonable for her to do several episodes ago. But she invites him in in this moment. So fine. Fine. Like, fine. Um, I get why he earned his invitation back in. But in Buffy's mind, the only reason why he's earned his invitation back into her house is because he has proven that he will do whatever Buffy wants him to do. So because she is, sees him as a tool, essentially she sees him as a tool now. So that's really the fact that he will back her up unquestioningly is the only reason why she trusts him is the only reason why she's keeping him around. That's it. I mean, I do think that there's a certain level of her being attracted to him. They're not really trying to put that across, but I think at this point it's safe to say she is somewhat attracted to him. Um, but I mean, that is just like a tiny portion of it. And the rest of it is, oh, I can use you for whatever I want because you will literally do anything I tell you to do. So she invites him in and then there's the whole, okay. I used to find this speech of Spike's so fucking heartwarming and I can't feel it anymore because I really do see Spike for, I mean, I just, I don't trust him anymore. Like the older I've gotten, the more I'm just like, nope, he's bad news. <laughs> he's a red flag. He's a red flag in human form, in vampire form. Um, so I still like, you know, I do have a little bit of fuzzy feelings for this little speech where he's like, I just don't know how much I believe it. So he tells her, I know you'll never love me. Let's take a second for that because that's not the part of the speech that people normally focus on. But him saying in this moment, I know you'll never love me is actually 100% true. I mean, there's this whole thing in the comics where they're like in a long-term relationship for a while, which is really weird and wrong. I think it just doesn't make any sense for them to ever be in a long-term relationship ever. Didn't make sense in the comics. Doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense in the comics. We'll get there. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to like visit that, um, conversation when we are getting towards the end of season seven. <laughs> do we want to review the comics? Cause I do own them all. Uh, we'll worry about that then, but this is true. Um, my mom always argues with me, but in the very last episode of the whole series, whenever she tells him that she loves him and he says, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. I think he's being completely 100% honest in that moment. It's true. She doesn't love him. She can never love him, which she says to him in seeing red. God. I just like, every time I think about that episode, I'm like, oh fuck, I'm going to have to talk about that at some point. <laughs> don't be surprised if I don't, if I talk about that episode, like fully two weeks after I'm supposed to talk about it. 
Just saying. So I just thought that was significant that he says, I know you'll never love me. And then he says, I know that I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. This is interesting because like, historically, Buffy has not treated him with respect. It has only been like literally like the last, what, like three episodes since he had the opportunity to give Dawn up and he didn't. And that's when she's decided to treat him with a level of respect. So, I mean, if we're going in real time here, she's been treating him with a modicum of respect for a month now, max, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Just like, it didn't hit me the same way this time around. Like him saying, you treat me like a man. She doesn't. She really doesn't. She treats him like a tool. A tool to get what she wants. And she beats him up whenever she feels like it. And she really doesn't treat him like a man at all. So. It's funny, like, I'm like, Spike is awful. He's a red flag. But also, Buffy should be nice to him. <laughs> Buffy should treat him with respect. Um, whatever, anyway. I can have both thoughts, okay? I love Spike. I do. I actually do love him a lot. He's one of the best characters on Buffy, for sure. Um, but he's also bad news. Both things can be true. You can love someone and they can be bad news at the same time. That's how, how we get into regrettable relationships. Um, yes. So, okay. Dawn's tied up on the top of the tower. Tara points at Giles right before. So they're like, Tara, do you have somewhere that you want to be? Um, no one's holding you down if you want to go, you know? So right before she walks out the door, she points at Giles and says, you're a killer. So interesting that like the soul sucked version of Tara is psychic. I find that interesting. I think that I just wish they would have explored who Tara is as a character a lot more than they do. Um, talking about deaths that are upsetting, Tara's is way more upsetting than Buffy's. And it's not because I don't care about Buffy as a character. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Um, need to take a little beer sip and drink. Beer sip and drink? Beer sip and break. Wow, that is not cold anymore. <laughs> I've been sipping on that beer, that same bottle of beer, since dinner, which was like four hours ago, three and a half, something like that. Anyway. So she points at him and she says, you're a killer. They all follow her. <laughs> I really enjoy this might end up being my quote of the episode. So they get to the tower and they look up and, um, Xander says, spadoinkle, <laughs> spadoinkle. I love saying that in everyday life. And really that's what quotes of the episodes should be, right? I mean, it's a featured quote if it's something that you say in everyday life, right? Um, Willow, you know, she's the one that goes in first to confront Glory. 
and she says, I could use a little courage. And I really love this little, little sight gag, mostly. Um, so she says, could use a little courage. And suddenly a flask shows up right next to her face. Um, like Spike had just offered it to her from his jacket, which means Spike is just forever carrying a full flask full of whiskey inside of his leather coat. I just, I love that about Spike. <laughs> I take it back, Spike is great. Just kidding. Um, so Tara shows up to the tower. Glory's like, what are you doing here? Which is silly because all the other people that she brain sucked are there at the tower. So why wouldn't Tara be? So Tara shows up and she's like, what are you doing here? And then, um, and this is a really badass moment. I actually rewound this and watched it a couple of times, um, where Willow shows up and she, she does her magic thing. She essentially takes what Glory took from Tara out of Glory's mind and replaces it back within Tara. And she does that. She comes, she comes up and she says, she's with me. And then she does her magic thing and it's pretty badass for sure. I did enjoy that moment. Back, I'm at my last page of notes, guys, which is good because I'm out of beer and I don't want to have to go all the way the fuck downstairs and get another beverage before we end this podcast. Um, so then we get... Glory versus Buffy bot, but you know, if this is your first time watching it, you don't know that it's a Buffy bot at this point. Um, a lot of quipping, a lot of fighting, whatever. She uses the Dagon Sphere. Is that what it's called? For some reason, I'm questioning it all of a sudden. I think it's the Dagon Sphere. She uses the Dagon Sphere. Kind of a stupid move for her to like take it out of her jacket and be like, is it this? Is this what's upsetting you? And then she throws it at her and then Glory just crushes it in her hands. Like if she hadn't told her that the Dagon Sphere was near, that the Dagon Sphere was near, then couldn't it have confused and disoriented Glory for longer? Wasn't that the whole point of the situation? Another like just little nitpick this time around. I really actually like this fight sequence between Glory and Buffy, like when we get the real Buffy, um, them like going up through the tower and her like using the Thor hammer thing and all that stuff. I like the fight sequence. I think it's good, but Buffy shouldn't be running up the tower because the whole point of this fight is to She's the one that started running up the tower and Glory started following her. Like, isn't the whole point to just distract her long enough for the ritual window to pass? Like, it's just stupid of Buffy to, like, as soon as she hears Dawn's voice, she starts running up the tower. Okay, I'm already talking myself out of this because the whole point of the end of the season is that Buffy is distracted by her love for Dawn. She's literally choosing her love from her one family member that she has left. You know, her dad's not speaking to her. Her mom's dead. Dawn is the only family she has left. So she's, so Dawn like calls to her from the top of the tower and she just immediately starts going up the steps. 
So stupid move on Buffy's part, but she's, she's emotionally, um, compromised <laughs> to say the least at this point. So I get it. Um, Anya's got a bat and she's holding it like way up high. It's totally how I would hold a bat. I get it, Anya. I love her so much. Anya's hair is looking real great in this episode too. It's just like the perfect length and level of curl for her. It just, it looks great. We get, okay, so like that whole spell that Willow did kind of knocked everybody out. So Willow goes to like check on Tara after she like wakes up from being knocked out or something. And Tara's fully brained again. And she tells Willow, I got so lost. And Willow says, I found you. I will always find you. And it was such a sweet moment. Oh my God. I think like super heart wrenching. Like I wanted to bask in Tara's presence a little bit longer than this, you know, but we, we didn't get that. We just got a tiny little moment, but love that Tara's back. So happy about that. Um, then the Buffy bot gets decapitated and then Buffy versus glory, the real Buffy versus glory. Phil shows up, which again is what I call, um, that character with the really long demon tongue, the old guy. <laughs> he shows up at the top of the tower. Also, where did he come from? Like maybe he magicked himself there. Maybe he teleported or something. Like, I think he's good at magic. So I'll just say that's what happened because like the whole fight between Glory and Buffy was going on like the whole time that he would have had to be climbing up that tower. And as old as he is, it would have taken him a while to get up that entire tower. So he had to have just teleported there or materialized there or some kind of magic. Magic is the explanation for his presence at the top of the tower. It has to be. Um, let's see what's happening. Phil is here. How did he get there? Magic. Okay. Yes. Willow is speaking inside Spike's mind. So now she knows how to, what's the word where you speak telepathically to someone. Is there a word for that? Or is it just speaking telepathically? She does it. And Spike hears her and she's like, is somebody up there with Dawn? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, go. And she, her and um, Tara like grasp hands to like part the, the people that Gloria has brain sucked. Okay, here's my question. So Dawn does a spell to reclaim Tara's brain, right? She could have... Couldn't she have expanded that spell to reclaim everyone's brains simultaneously? So if she had done that, then all of those people would have just kind of wandered off confused, I'm assuming, and they would no longer be defending glory. And that also would have disoriented glory even more. I just kind of wish that that's what had happened. You know, because we don't really see, like, I think we can assume that all of those people got their full brain capacities back whenever Glory dies, right? Do we see anything of, like, people in the background sort of, like, looking all confused and walking away or something? 
I feel like we didn't see that. I don't know. I might have missed it. I wish there. I wish that that would have been Willow's spell that she was reclaiming everyone, including Tara, because I just feel like that would have been more powerful, right? But the show doesn't give a shit about all those other random people, which it really should. If this is supposed to be a show about a hero and saving humanity, we should give a shit a little bit about bystanders, right? Bystanders, right? Anyway, whatever. Um, let's see, where are we? So, Spike goes to the top of the tower, tries to save Dawn, but the Phil guy stabs him and pushes him off the tower, and it's heartbreaking because he just kind of looks at Dawn, and he's like, he almost just says sorry, but he's just like, no. And one thing that I noticed this time around, so as soon as he gets to the top of the platform, like, to save her. Dawn sees him, but the the Phil guy, the Phil demon, is looking at her. So, and then she's like, Spike! And I had a thought this time around, oh my god, why did you just say his name? So he turned around to see Spike because you alerted him to Spike's presence whenever he could have got the jump on him if she hadn't done that. But there's this little moment right afterwards where we get a shot of Dawn's face and you can see her kind of reacting to like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. And I'd never noticed that before. It was like she she got excited when she saw Spike and she just said his name and then she realized, fuck, I shouldn't have said his name. And I liked that little throw in because it had never occurred to me until watching it today that she shouldn't have said his fucking name. And then she immediately reacts to it like, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. And it's very subtle. Like it almost, I almost feel like maybe it wasn't even in the script and Michelle Trachtenberg was just like, that was really stupid of her. I'm gonna react to it in this moment where the camera's on me. I like that. It was just nice. It was just a nice little moment that I had never noticed before. Okay. Um, where are we? So Spike's kind of knocked out because he lands at the bottom of the tower, but he doesn't die because he's a vampire. Buffy. Okay. This was kind of brutal watching Buffy at the, she just kind of like overpowers Glory at a certain point And she's just beating her with that hammer and like the sounds, it's it's like they're making you think that she is smashing her fucking skull in, you know? It's very brutal. And then she changes into Ben. And Buffy gets up because she's not going to kill Ben. Okay, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. If Buffy, like, again... She's emotionally compromised, so that can explain this situation as well. But you'd think that Buffy would just kind of, like, continue pinning him down and just not let him get up and leave. You know? Like, obviously she's not going to kill Ben. I get that. I get why Buffy the Vampire Slayer cannot kill Ben. But she at least should have held him down. You know? And this whole, like sacrificing someone to save the entire race of humanity and the earth and blah 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 like she could sacrifice ben right like 
sometimes I think like the morality of Buffy is a little too black and white. Like the fact that like the show seems to want us to think that if Buffy ever slipped up and actually killed a human, that that would be it for her. She wouldn't get to be a hero anymore. I, I don't like that. I mean, we've seen Angel, haven't we seen Angel kill humans before? Like, it's fine for him. It's almost like it's it's like a sexist hero thing. It's like, she has to be perfect. Like, that's the only way a girl can get away with being a complex character in the Joss Whedon universe, <laughs> is if she is absolutely 100% perfect and her moral, her morality is completely black and white. Like, anyway, whatever. So... Glory turns into Ben, Buffy leaves because she's not going to kill Ben, and Giles shows up and he kills Ben. So obviously this is like a big moment. Like, it makes sense. I don't think it made anyone upset with Giles. Like, he does what he needs to do. Like, this doesn't make Giles evil. Like, nobody thinks Giles is evil. But one thing I found interesting, and I'm not sure I'd ever noticed this before either, but before he kills Ben, he puts his glasses on. Like, we've seen Giles take his glasses off whenever he, like, wants to, like, find something to do with his hands because he wants to emotionally distance himself from a situation. We've seen him do that a billion times. We've never seen him deliberately put his glasses on. And it's almost like, I feel like that is just the show telling us he knows exactly what he's doing. This is premeditated murder. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he put his glasses on. Um, so we get to the point where Buffy gets to the top. Phil's already done his shallow cuts thing. And um, just for those of you that didn't listen to my last episode... I'm calling this character Phil because he reminds me of a childhood, or not a childhood, a family friend that is named Phil. Is Actually, he's a really great person. Like, he's not a demon with a super long tongue or anything, but he just kind of reminds me of Phil. <laughs> and I don't know what the character's name is, so that's why I keep calling him Phil. So, Buffy gets to the top of the tower. Phil's already started the bloodletting on Dawn. And she just immediately pushes him off the tower, which I really like. Because he's like, this should be interesting. And you think it's gearing up to some kind of fight. And then Buffy just pushes him off the tower. Like, nope, not interesting. She's, I mean, he probably lived through it because he's a demon, but whatever. Um, I liked that. And then the portal starts. So as soon as they're like trying to leave and descend the tower, the portal is opened. And Dawn immediately, she doesn't even hesitate. She's like, well, it's already happened, so I need to go. I know I'm going to have to die now. She's ready to sacrifice herself. How cool is that? She's like a 14-year-old girl, and she's ready to sacrifice herself to save the world. That's pretty big, right? I feel like Buffy, whenever we first met her at like 15 or whatever she was, you know, in the first season, she wouldn't have I mean she would have done what needed to be done but I don't think she would have done it quite as easily as Dawn does in this moment so I don't know I just thought that was cool like 
I know like a lot of people hate Dawn, but I don't hate Dawn anymore. I think I did whenever I was younger. I know I did whenever I was younger because I was like, who the fuck is this little sister character? I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> but I love her now. I really do. So Dawn is immediately ready to jump into the abyss. We get this funny little moment of like, when the dimensions come, when the walls between the dimensions come down and we see like, I feel like it's, it can't be the high school. Maybe it is the high school because the building's still there, isn't it? Anyway, whatever. We get like the sort of like Cenobite slash Xenomorph slash Borg cube situation. We see like dragons flying through the air. All this fucking chaos is happening. The tower moment is happening. And um, Anya pushes Xander out of the way when like a bunch of I don't know, cinder blocks and shit come down from the tower or something. So Danya, Danya, <laughs> Anya saves Xander's life. So that's sweet. That's a sweet little moment. And again, Anya MVP this episode for sure. Buffy, like she does that whole like looking over and making the realization that I could jump in. My blood is hers. Death is my gift. I could go. I could sacrifice myself. When she makes that realization, um, she looks at Dawn and Dawn immediately, without her saying anything, is like, no, 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 not you, me, no. Which, again, props to Dawn. She gets it. She knows what's happening. They have a connection. Dawn and Buffy have a connection. <laughs> um, okay, here's where I want to talk about, okay. So we get the whole death is your gift thing. So like always in the past, you know, I've thought what the show wants you to think, which is that Buffy in the beginning misinterprets this as well as a slayer. She is the bringer of death to forces of darkness, right? So she thinks, oh, death is my gift. I'm really just a killer after all, you know, she actually literally said that. And then in this moment, she realizes that her death could be a gift for Dawn. That's what we're led to believe. But what if death is Buffy's gift to herself? So that brings in, you know, weird, uncomfortable implications of suicide, right? Like, I've never really seen it in through this lens before until this time around but I feel like so Buffy is looking at you know we've seen her literally say that she's overwhelmed she doesn't want to do it anymore she wants to quit being a slayer if that if if Dawn dies she's gonna quit being a slayer she literally went cat catatonic two episodes ago because she can't fucking handle this shit anymore. She is emotionally compromised. She is overwhelmed. She is sick of this. She is in total hopeless despair. She is done with life. And she, her calm and happiness that kind of washes over her as soon as she realizes that she can sacrifice herself to save dawn you know 
that I don't vibe with the whole suicide is a selfish act thing because I think you know a person's despair has to be so total and absolute to get to that point but in her case it kind of is a selfish act right because she's the active slayer or I mean technically according to like the mysticism of Buffy faith is the active slayer which means that so faith is in prison currently if Buffy dies right now which she does then no other slayer will be called so the world will be slayerless essentially like faith is still there but she's not able to help anybody because she's in prison so she is making a selfish act like I mean it's in general you know in real life no human life is more important than any other human life but in the world of Buffy Buffy's life is more important than Dawn's but I get it at the same time I get it at the same time like in the in service of the plot Buffy is sacrificing herself because she can't live with the pain that it would cause her to lose Dawn she's sacrificing herself for that reason and she's happy to do it literally she's happy to do it but like the implications behind that are pretty heavy right for her to be content and happy to take her own life like sorry to bring us down but Buffy did just die <laughs> um I don't know that hit me in a different way this time around um yeah it really did um something that was pointed out in the buffering podcast so I can't take credit for this because I don't think I ever would have noticed this but the moment where she tells Dawn you know her little speech about the hardest thing to do in this world is to live in it that she says to someone right before she kills them kills herself interesting but um as she's giving Dawn that whole speech like the dialogue cuts out and you don't hear it until like a little bit later and it actually mirrors the positions that the two characters were in when Buffy tells Dawn that her mom is dead whenever we get that view from like inside the art classroom looking at them through the window and we don't hear the dialogue and Dawn just like loses it it's that same shot set up and they probably did that on purpose and they cut the dialogue out both times so that's interesting um I had never noticed that but somebody that they were like interviewing pointed it out on buffering so I thought I gotta tell you guys just in case you don't listen to that podcast too um and then she does her little speech her iconic speech she says to Dawn tell Giles I figured it out and I'm okay I never really understood that like what tell Giles I figured what out this is my first time I think I'm pretty sure this is my first time watching the Buffy series with subtitles on because I didn't realize until like I don't know six or seven it's been a while it's been a few handfuls a handful or two of years since I realized that I needed to watch things with subtitles because it helps me understand it better um, but I never 
I was like, what is she talking about? Tell Giles I figured it out. So just in case you would never put that together like me, she was referring to their conversation they had earlier where she's like, I don't understand. I don't know how to live in this world if these are the choices. So that's a call back to that conversation. Tell Giles I figured it out. And also her saying to him, she doesn't understand how death is my gift. She's telling him, I get it. This is, this is why, this is that prophecy. Death is my gift, my gift to Dawn so that she can continue living. So in the context of the entire, like the entire Buffy story arc in general, like even beyond the TV show, I'm glad that this is how this played out because I love season six. I like Dawn as a character. I'm glad she didn't have to die, but yeah, we'll just leave it at that, I guess. So tell Giles I figured it out and I'm okay. Dawn, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. I mean, people have cross-stitched that on pillows, right? The hardest thing in this world is to live in it, which is absolutely 100% true. Be brave. Live. Which she says to her right before Buffy isn't brave and doesn't live, but whatever. Um, and then she jumps into the abyss. I've never really liked how they shot this. I just feel like they could have, it just looks so cheesy and it sort of looks like Buffy's having an orgasm as she dies in the portal or whatever. Like, I just feel like they could have done this better, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I realize like the limitations of a low budget TV show in 2001 to make this shit happen, make this shit look good they couldn't make it look as good as they could now for sure. But I still just think it's cheesy, but she goes into the lightning abyss and she saves the world and her tombstone reflects that everybody cries. Um, there's that beautiful shot where like Buffy's dead with a super content look on her face and everyone's just losing their shit all around her. Um, and then we get her tombstone, Buffy Summers, Buffy Ann Summers, 1981 to 2001. She saved the world a lot. Oh, it says like beloved daughter, loving sister. She saved the world a lot or something like that. So that's it. Buffy's dead. Yeah. Um, really excited slash nervous to talk about season six. Obviously you don't need to think about that, that yet since it's four fucking months in the future, but I am excited about it. Um, because the themes that the like total despair and angst and self-destructiveness, all of those themes in season six, I think are going to be just cathartic to talk about. Um, they're interesting subjects for me as a person that majored in psychology in college. Um, like obviously, like I said before, I'm sure the show does not deal with it in a super awesome forward thinking way most of the time, but I'm still excited to get into it.
That said, hey, head over to my Patreon, seriously. Click that link and vote on movies that we can talk about this summer. Let's get into our ratings because my throat hurts. I've been talking a lot. I'm going to go drink a lot of water and uh, rest for a bit. Um, Well, I have to edit the podcast and upload it too. But anyway, so ratings for the episode. We already know MVP Anya. We already know, quote, Spadoinkle. We already know object is the green vinyl couch. We already know we didn't say outfit of the episode. We can't give it to Glory because she was wearing the same thing that she was wearing in the last episode. So we've already given her the award for that particular outfit. Everybody's pretty much wearing the same outfits except Buffy changing into that atrocious, like the equivalent of khaki pants, but they were gray. Let's see. Who do we want to give outfit of the episode to? I mean, let's just give it to Buffy earlier in the episode. I know it's pretty much the same outfit that she was wearing in the last few episodes, but we didn't give it to her then, so let's give it to her now. Because I think it's a totally functional fighting outfit. Black leather pants, white thermal. It looked good. It looked functional. Like, why not? Let's give it to her. Buffy hasn't gotten outfit of the episode in like two seasons. So let's give it to her right before she dies. <laughs> um, five by five. Like I said before, like, I, this is a perfectly serviceable end of season. For a while while they were writing this, they thought that this would be the series finale, but UPN picked it up. Like, they knew by the time they aired it, but I don't know if they knew while they were shooting it that they were going to be picked up for a sixth season. And Joss has said before that, like, he tried to make the end of every season a good cap for the whole series, just in case they didn't get picked up again. Um, As far as, like, season enders, like, yeah, I'm stalling. (laughs) Um, This is not one of my favorites. I do think it's a very good episode. And if it had been the very end of the series, it would have been an effective end of the series. But I'm really glad it wasn't, like I said before. Um, I really like Prophecy Girl, the end of season one. End of season two, like, ends any season that ends with a Sarah McLachlan song. <laughs> season two and season six end with a Sarah McLachlan song, by the way. Full of Grace in season two, and um, Sarah McLaughlin's version of the Prayer of Saint Francis of Assisi in season six. Um, I love the last episode of season six. I love, I mean, the last episode of season four is my favorite episode of Buffy, Restless. The last episode of season three is when they killed the mayor, so that's really good. I love the last episode of the entire series, so I might even rank... I don't think that The Gift would be at the bottom of the list, because it's definitely a good episode. I don't know why I'm, like, trying to make it sound like I don't like this episode. I just think that, like, other people, like, really, really love The Gift, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's good. It's decent. 
So, I mean, I'll give it a four. It's it's a great episode of Buffy. It's a great episode of television. I don't, like, have a lot of faults with it or anything. I just think I don't love it as much as other people do. That's all. So that's it. Um, I guess I have nothing else to say about this episode of Buffy. Um, yeah, I'm stalling because, like, I feel like if I stop talking right now, then I'm not going to talk to you guys for, like, four months, which is not true because I'm going to do movie episodes. I just don't know how many I'm going to do or when the first one will be. Anyway, vote on the movies that you want me to talk about this summer, and thank you guys for listening so much. Like, it's pretty rad that people want to listen to me babble about my favorite TV show. So, I mean, it might sound silly. I know, like, everybody that does recap podcasts says shit like that, but it's true. Like, I mean, just the surreal moment. It's a surreal situation of me sitting alone in a closet in my house talking to a recorder on a tripod that some <laughs> somehow you're listening to right now. Like, it seems pretty supernatural. So, I'm glad that we're all into the supernatural and we can continue to talk about the supernatural show of Buffy. <laughs> um, I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Y'all are the best. And I will talk to you soon. Um, movies that came out in 2001, like I have a list somewhere and obviously you can go vote on my poll, but, um, vote in my poll, but off the top of my head, I think Legally Blonde is on that list. I can't remember what else. Um, even if none of y'all vote for Legally Blonde, I'm talking about that one because <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Oh, also Ghost World. Even if no one votes for that, I'm going to have to talk about that movie. Um, yeah. So go vote, go vote in my poll. Do it. Do it. Seriously. Okay. Bye.